I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on Tuesday on faith and believe, and I've got little faith up here and no faith. The reason I got faith and believe is they're basically the same word. Faith is the word pistis. And faith it has a definition, and it does. It works. Faith works by love. I guess I ought to put that in line. I've been trying to tell you everything that faith is and faith does. Believe is the, merely the verb form of faith. The verb shows action. The faith is the noun, that's pistis. And believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Do you think those are important words? We're saved by grace through faith and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I couldn't understand why you had two different words to express our salvation when I was a kid. But I had to find out when I grew up and I studied the Greek language. Pistuo is the word believe. So that's what faith does. Does. And then you have something called little faith. Oligos. Pistis. Or oligopistis. It comes from oligos. And pistis. And that means. Little or puny faith. That's what you have when you first come to the knowledge of Christ. Puny faith. Puny faith. And Jesus kept saying to the apostles, O ye of puny faith, you you kind of misconstrue everything I'm saying to you. And then you have no faith. That would be A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis is the same word as unbelief. Unbelief is the word apistis, the alpha privative, that's the first letter of the Greek alphabet bit, it negates as a negative particle, it will say in your concordance, as a neg part. That means negative particle. What it does, it negates the word, and gives an opposite meaning to the word following. So it means no faith. So that would be no faith. So anywhere you find unbelief, or the Bible will say they had no faith, or not of faith, that would have the same meaning as unbelief or apistis. So, and then you have this word love. That's faith works by love. Not by liking people. That's not it. you got two words that have been translated into the word love in the English text. One is the word agape. Some people pronounce it agape. I don't care how you pronounce it as long as you know what it is. And then you have the word phileo. You have several derivations of phileo, philos, philia. And these have the meaning of having affection or friend. 
A friend is somebody you have affection for. Friend. So, but that's not the word agape. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do the things that I say. So, phileo would be conditional on whether you do agape. Agape was a relationship that kings had for their subjects. That's why Second John 6 says, this is agape. It tells you what agape, it says this is love, but you have to know it's the word agape, that we walk after his commandments, after God's commandments, which is what he says there in John 15, you are my friends only if you walk after my agape. There's no such thing as unconditional love. Now, I've been talking to you about faith and what it is and what it does. It works by love, John 5 and 6. It works by walking in the commandments of God. Worketh is the word energeo, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. It's our word energy or energize. Faith is energized and it works. I keep saying it's like a car. Like a car. And here's the wheels. And The car is worthless unless it has an engine. The engine is like agape. And the car is faith. The car runs by the engine. Faith operates by agape. It's basically the same thing. Now, I want to talk to you about this thing of unbelief. I've got so many things on that. Go back over to what I was talking to you about last week. Go back to Romans 14 chapter. Romans 14. I'm going to try to, I've tried to come up and put more things together than I can get, possibly get to. But in Romans 14, there's something about the people say the book of Romans is the hardest thing to study. I don't think it is. I don't believe it is at all. I shouldn't have said think. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's hard to study. Only one thing you need to know about Romans before you even get into it. They had a polarized situation at Rome. You hear people talk about polarized. It's not really hard. It comes from the word pole. We get the word polemic from that. Polemic means something that has poles on it. A pole, we got the earth. You have the north pole and the south pole. It means a, more or less a separation. You got two things going on. You got a battery. It's got two poles. It has a positive and a negative pole. That is the separation between the two poles. Without understanding the polemic, anytime you see the word polemic, it means a division. 
there was a division of people at Rome. There was a division. Let me tell you what the division was. It was the Gentile believers, Gentile. And until you understand this, you're not even going to understand how to study Romans. In Rome, there were the Gentile believers. And there were the Jewish believers. Jewish believers. And some of the Jews were thinking, we must be better than these Gentiles because God loved us first and gave us the commandments in the Old Testament. And Paul keeps telling them he doesn't love anybody first above the other people that are in the elect family. He doesn't prefer anybody over anybody else in the family. Now, when you go over here to, I'll show you a little bit of that, when you go back over to, and if you don't understand this, you won't even understand what Romans is about. When you go to Romans, the second chapter, and he's talking to, he kind of addresses the Jews in a lot of these verses and he's talking about that he kind of sets the tone when he tells the people at Rome that Abraham was a Gentile before he was a Jew the Gentiles were denoted by their circumcision well was Abraham when God called him was he circumcised no and the Bible says this in the Second chapter of Romans. It, it, we can read here in uh, in chapter eight. Then unto them that are contentious in the church and do not obey the truth. Now, when he says they don't obey the truth, he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about believers in the church. But they uh, they obey unrighteous and indignation and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The reason he keeps saying that, look, this is to the Gentiles too, as well as the Jews. And then he uh, goes on to say, but glory, honor, and peace to every man, not just to the Jews at Rome, that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There is no respect of persons with God. No prosop. The word respect of persons is one word in the Hebrew. Prosopolepteo. Pros means. Pros means toward. Ops. We get our word optical from that. It means the visage or what you see. We get our word vision from visage. It's what you see. And lambano. That means to take hold of. Respect of persons means to motion toward what you see and take hold of it. It means to look at the outward appearance. And with God, there is no respect of persons. 
It's He's saying, I don't respect the Jews above the Gentiles at Rome. I don't have any respect above one over the other. I'm gracious to all of the elect at Rome. This means a lot more than people have the understanding. That's like respect of persons doesn't look at the heart. It just looks at the surface. If she's good looking or he's handsome, he's real glib. People have a tendency to want to accept it because they look good. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to give more honor to the uncomely parts of the body of Christ. That's the parts that don't fit. He's saying this here at Rome. And if you don't understand the polemic situation, you won't know why he's saying it. For as many as have sinned outside the law shall perish outside the law, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. And so many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And then when he says in verse 14, when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves. Everybody has the law when he knows right from wrong. Then he goes on to say over here in chapter 3. You'll notice he keeps addressing Jew and Gentile. And he says in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of being circumcision, which was the sign that was given to Abraham, you circumcise the foreskin on the eighth day, and I will, and you fulfill all my laws and follow me in Genesis 17, and that will be your inheritance, and it'll be everybody in your household that's circumcised, including the Gentiles, Abraham. Much every way, verse 2, chiefly because unto them, unto the Jews, were given the oracles the laws of God, so it'll condemn her quicker. For what if they did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? Just because a man unbelieve is that word, apistus. The word of God is still in effect even to unbelievers. God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man means all Jews and all Gentiles. Outside of Christ, they're all liars. Because the Jews would try to lift themselves above the Roman, the Roman Gentiles here at Rome. And then he goes on down here in verse 9 and says, What then? Are we, the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? No. In no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now, some people will try to take the next verse and make it mean something it doesn't mean. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles in the world. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So that some people say, see, babies are not righteous. This is not talking about babies as compared to others. It's talking about between Jew and Gentile, there is none righteous when they're grown and they know right from wrong. There's nobody righteous. There is none that understandeth. Well, they can try to apply that to babies. It's not talking about babies. Babies don't go to hell. They don't know enough. They don't know no sin. There is none that seeketh after God. 
So when he's saying these things, he's saying Jew and Gentile, none righteous, none seeks after God. He's talking about when they grow up and they come to an unaccountable age. Now look over here in the fourth chapter. I keep saying to you that Abraham was called when he was a Gentile. Here in chapter 4. Uh, where can I start here? Look at verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man whom God imputeth righteousness without works of the law, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. It doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The word logizomai is the word impute, L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It means to assign, to assign sin to. Well, God doesn't impute sin to his righteous people, whether they're Jew or Gentile. Gentile is everybody that's not a Jew. Cometh the blessedness upon the circumcision only, and a circumcision was a title for Jews. Uncircumcision was a title for all the Gentiles. Circumcision was God's sign, was Abraham's sign to God, according to the covenant in Genesis 17. Now let's keep reading. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now watch verse 10. How was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Was he a Gentile? He was before he was circumcised and before the promise of God came to him. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision when he was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile when he began. Then when he was circumcised, he became the father of the Jews. A seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. And that goes together with his very writings in Colossians, the second chapter, when he says we're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Circumcision was a term for Jews. When you read that second chapter of Galatians, he says Peter was a missionary sent to the uh, to the circumcision to the Jews, and I was sent to the Gentiles. And Paul wrote Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. All those were to Gentiles. God sent his message to us Gentiles. Now, then he goes on to say, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only. When you see circumcision, think Jew. When you see uncircumcision, think Gentile. But who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which which he had been yet uncircumcised. Then he goes on to say, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law 
of circumcision, but through the righteousness of his faith. Now, I said all that to introduce you to the 14th chapter of Romans. You you have to look at this book. God is trying to say nobody is above each other in the kingdom of God. You're all of the spiritual circumcision. That was the promise of God to Abraham. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and your sign will be to circumcise the foreskin on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? That was the height of the clotting factor the doctors today will tell you. Now, I want to go over here to, we're still talking about no faith, or little faith. Go over here to Romans, the 14th chapter. The Jews at Rome were trying to be, a lot of them were trying to be legalistic. They were trying to keep the laws of the Jews of the Old Testament when all of the rituals had been blotted out. Colossians 2.14 says that. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's two handwritings in the Bible, one on tables of stone, one on fleshy tables of our hearts. We certainly know the one on our heart is not blotted out, but the one on tables of stone were blotted out. Two handwritings. So all the rituals were done away with. We're in a spiritual Passover. We're in a spiritual day of atonement. Atonement and baptize have the same meaning. It means to cover with a stain or die. The day of atonement was where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of a goat. Our hearts are sprinkled in Hebrews 10.22. So, we are sprinkled. We are, we are, our hearts have been covered. The heart was the place of understanding. Now, in this 14th chapter, I'm going to read the last verse, but everything that I told you is true because, and I can't explain the last verse of this chapter without having explained something to you about the book of Romans being polemic, a division between Jews and Gentiles. Well, the last verse of the 14th chapter says, it has to do with everything, everything in here has to do with one thought, this polarized situation. And it's talking about not eating just anything in front of Gentiles, or excuse me, in front of Jews. And then he says, He that doubteth is damned. He doesn't mean he's condemned to hell. You're condemned, katakrino, katakrino is the word damned, and you're damned if you doubt, Doubt is the word, it's that word that means to be the channel, dia, crino. Crino is the word judge, judge. We're to judge righteous judgment. Dia puts a spin on the word crino. Dia means you become the channel of judging. You quit judging righteous judgment, and every time you find the word diacrino, 
The best definition for diacrino I found, I've looked at all the words. The best definition is over there in Romans 4. This is the best definition. Diacrino has the same meaning as unbelief. When it says in channel in chapter four and verse we read some out of here in verse seventeen that God the last sentence of chapter of verse seventeen God who quickeneth the dead quicken Z O O P O I E O means to make Alive. We go to zoo to see living animals. Zupoeo is the word quicken, means to make alive. And God calleth those things which be not as though they were. That is not a Pentecostal charismatic verse that says you can call things that be not by saying Cadillac, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. Come on, new house, come on, new house. And you can stipulate if you want a new Cadillac. This is what the charismatics say. You can stipulate if you want golden court, golden handles on the door and a gold grill in it. You can tell God, I want a Cadillac and I'm going to say a Cadillac and I want to call these things that be not. That is idiocy. This has to do with the next verse. Abraham, calling something that was not, was Raising the dead. That's what it was. Unless you can raise the dead, you can't call things that be not. When Herod put out an edict to kill all the children from two years old and under in the the second chapter of Matthew, because he was afraid this newborn Jesus was going to take over his throne. And Jesus was two years old living in a house. The, the, The... Wise men came to the house where the young child was. And Herod gave an edict. They ignored Herod's warning, saying, come back and tell me where he is, because he wanted to kill Jesus, the baby, or the child Jesus. So he ordered all the children, all the boys, two years old and under, to be slaughtered throughout Israel. They were killed. And the Bible says that Rachel was weeping for her children because they were not Rachel was considered the mother. She was the beloved of Jacob. So, then she was weeping for her children because they were not. And over in Genesis 37, when, 37, 30, when Jacob's ten sons went over to get grain from this new prince, which was Joseph, and they didn't recognize him because he spoke through an interpreter, and he's accusing them of being thieves. Joseph wanted to know if they were truthful, if they had repented of having sold him into bondage. And they stand there and he says, you're all thieves, you're all spies. And they said, no, no, we're 12 sons of uh, of one man. And he said, well, where's you? you got 10 here. Where's the other two? They said, well, we've got ten here with us. And and then we have the youngest brother in back at home in Israel. And one is not. 
and they thought Joseph was dead, and they're talking to him, but he's talking to an interpreter. Anyway, something was not was something that was dead. Even Jacob referred to Joseph as being not in the next chapter. Even Jacob thought he was dead. Now, so called, so when you, what this is talking about is verse 18. Who, referring back to Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He didn't have any children. He was 99 years old and Sarah was 89. And God had told him, you're going to have a son. And he didn't have any sperm or any seed anymore. And she didn't ovulate anymore and had no more eggs. God says, you're going to have a son. And it will not be this Eliezer, this faithful Syrian in your household. It will be one out of your own bowels. And the next verse tells you what calling things that be not means. And it gives you the best definition for diacrino. And being not weak in faith, being not weak in pistis, when God tells Abraham, you're going to have a son and you can't in the flesh because it's not possible you and your wife, but it's possible with me. That's calling things that be not. God raised Isaac from the dead, womb of his mother, the dead loins of his father. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He's 99. Who was about a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. She couldn't have a baby. She was 89. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So stagger. Stagger equals unbelief, doesn't it? Stagger equals. He staggered not through unbelief. Stagger equals unbelief, doesn't it? He staggered not through unbelief. Stagger is the word diacrino. He says these basic same words to be the channel, the method of judging. He did not say, I can't have a son, I'm too old. He didn't say that. He said, okay. God's promising it. Boy, if we could learn to believe like Abraham, have the faith of Abraham. It was impossible for Abraham to have a son, but that's calling things that be not. God opened up the womb of Sarah, and he opened up the loins of Abraham and said, you will have a son. And he was too old. He never had one. Not, not spiritually. Didn't. Now, let's go back over here. Well, let me go ahead and read the rest of that verse. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, through apistus, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded 
that what God had promised he was able to perform through his dead body and the dead body of Sarah. That's called resurrection. That's the gospel. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel to Abraham. How was the gospel preached to Abraham? The gospel's a resurrection. He resurrected Isaac from the dead. That's how he preached the gospel to Abraham. I can't even spell when I'm talking. R-E-S-U-R-R-E-C-T-I-N. Resurrection is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He preached the gospel to Abraham, the resurrection of Isaac from the dead. That's calling things that be not as though they were, you charismatic ignoramuses. When you come up and say, you can say it with your mouth and get it, that is not calling things that be not. Unless you can raise the dead, you can't do that. And they say they can raise the dead, they're ignorant. Now let's go back. He said the same thing he said in Romans four eighteen. In that last verse, in the last verse of Romans 14, he that doubteth diacrino, look, he that diacrino doubteth. He that diacrino doubteth becomes the channel of judging is damned. He is condemned. The word means to be condemned for doing something you're not supposed to be doing because of this polarized situation at Rome. Because he eateth not of faith. When you eat, you have to eat of faith. This whole chapter is about that. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Not of faith If Abraham had staggered, he would have not had faith in God when God promised it. Not a faith equals sin. And not a faith is the same thing as A-P-I-S-T-I-S or no faith, unbelief. So everywhere you find unbelief, it equals sin. Or if you have something that says no faith, that's the same thing as unbelief equals sin. Now, what is this last verse about? It's about the whole chapter, and it's about this problem they had at Rome, the polarized situation between the Gentiles and the Jews. But you have to go back to the first of the chapter. Let's go back and read the whole chapter. And I'll go through it slow so you can see this. And this is an example for us how we're supposed to live as believers. A lot of people are baby believers. They have little faith. When you first come to Christ, if Jesus got put out with his apostles because of their little faith, he said, get out of here, I don't want you coming with me anymore. He didn't do that. He was patient with them. He'd say, oh, you have little faith. Your faith will grow. You have to have increasing faith. 
when you have faith, it will increase, but God will see to it. He says, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. That's an imperative command in the Greek. That is a command from God to add epikoregeo. So you have to add to your faith because it's commanded by God. Now, what we have to do is go back to the first of this chapter. Let's go back to the beginning of the 14th chapter. Him that is weak in the faith. (laughs) There we start with that same thing. What would you call weak in the faith? You'd call it little faith. Oligos pistis. Puny faith. Let me put it this way. He that has puny faith. Those people that are weak believers and they're not strong, don't sit around complaining about them, correcting them all the time. Be gentle and kind and tenderhearted to them. Be firm. Say, I think maybe you're looking at this wrong. You're, you're not really understanding what the Bible says. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, not to doubtful diacrino disputations. Don't dispute with people and fight them when they don't have much faith. They can't help that. And then he starts in telling what the problem is. But one believeth that he meet, may eat all things. I believe you can eat anything you want to eat. The Bible says all the meats were cleansed over there in in First uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter, the Bible says that the Spirit speaks the expression that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. They had weak faith. They had oligospistus, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, daemonion. That is our word demon. It means to distribute fortunes. If they depart from the faith, what did they depart from? Everything that faith is. First of all, they depart from understanding because faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is the word Hupostasis. Hupostasis, that's the word substance. That's in Hebrews 11 and 1. They depart from understanding. They depart from substructure. We get the word hupo is the same word as under or sub, and a substructure is a foundation. That's what faith is. It's a foundation. They depart from the foundation that we build upon during our Christian life. And they depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of daemonion, meaning to distribute fortunes. When you leave faith, you leave faith, you leave death to self. And you go into distributing fortunes of this world to yourself. The re- only reason people don't like faith, it requires death to self. That's what they don't like about it. 
and they don't like it because you're taking away their money and their things and their stuff. No, you're not taking away anything. What you do is you put Christ in front of everything, including your car, your house, your job, everything. And everything takes second place to the Lord in faith. Then he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, hypocrites, it comes from hypo. It's actually hypocrino. Quino means to judge. Hupo means under. It means an inferior judge. Hupocrates, H-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-E-S. The Cretes is the judge in a court. The Crino is the judgment. So hypocrisy and hypocrino are basically the same word. And then he goes on to say, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared. When a man leaves the faith and he goes after distributing fortunes or the money of this world or position in this world or all he can get in the world, he begins to speak lies in hypocrisy and he has his conscience seared. Conscience is the word sunidesis, S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. It means to see ido, ido, with. It means to see with. It's talking about the inner and the outer man. The outer man is the flesh, and God has to work on the outer man. The inner man is Christ, and God's got to work on this man, this outer man, to get him to to bow to the wishes of the inner man, and that takes years of fire and trials and persecution. And all the trials you can go through to get rid of this outer man. So it means to see with. So you have to come to a place where you see with Christ the inner man. But it becomes seared. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. It's talking about the clean and the unclean beast now. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. When you go into the 10th chapter of Acts, and God drops a sheet out of heaven and tells Peter, kill and eat. And there's every manner of clean and unclean beast there. And Peter says, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. A clean beast or a clean animal, they had to have a cloven hoof and chew the cud. If they chewed the cud and did I have a cloven hoof like a camel, they were unclean. A, a donkey would be an unclean beast. They didn't chew the cud. Uh, any you find the unclean and clean animals in Leviticus the eleventh chapter. That's the dietary law of God: what they could eat and what they couldn't. Now, so they were commanding to abstain from certain foods. That goes along. Go back to Romans, Romans the eleventh, uh, the fourteenth chapter, Romans fourteen. 
So this is talking about evidently some Jews coming into the church. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another is weak because he doesn't know everything has been cleansed. And he eats only herbs. says, I don't eat meat. I only eat. And we got people today like that. And I don't care if that's what people want to do. But it's okay to eat ham now. But the Jews considered swine or a pig unclean. It was because they had a cloven hoof, but they didn't chew the cud. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Remember, remember that last verse, 23, it's talking about he that eateth is, he that doubteth or passes judgment on others that eat. It's not just talking about eating food. It's talking about partaking of things that were legal in the Old Testament. The dietary laws of the Jews were still legal, even in the days of Paul. If you want to stay healthy, don't eat any ham. But it's lawful now to eat it. He's talking about if you're going to dinner with a Jewish guy, don't go into a a restaurant and say, and you're here with this Jewish client, and he's a Jew, and you know he practiced Judaism. Don't go in there and tell the waitress, bring me a ham sandwich. Watch out what you do in front of people. Don't just say, I'm going to have my way and do what I want to do. He says, when you pass judgment like that, you're passing judgment, you're diacrino, and you're being condemned for it because you're making your brother to stumble or fall. Then he says, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So he's saying, Don't pass judgment on everybody when they're doing something that's legal just because it's against your principle. I don't believe in... We're not talking about whether something is sin or not. We're talking about these people coming in here and it was this wrestling match that was going on at Rome between the Jew and the Gentile. If you don't understand that, you can't even read Romans and understand it. And then he goes on to say, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Boy, I've had people give me a hard time on this. I wrote a letter to Adrian Rogers when he was alive. He was pastor in Bellevue Baptist Church. That is the second largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. That is, I wrote a letter to him, and I was rebuking him for the Christmas tree that he had in his auditorium, and he had a gigantic Christmas tree. And I told him, I said, that is an ashtaroth, that is a grove that you've got, up in front of your congregation. And he wrote me back. I got a couple of letters from him at home. He wrote me back, and he said, he wrote this verse down, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? He's saying, you're not supposed to judge. This is not talking about whether it's okay to celebrate Christmas or not. That's paganism. It's talking about legal things that Jews were doing from the Old Testament. 
Now, you're going to find that a lot of people take this 14th chapter and try to justify Christmas with it. And I'll get into that here in just a second. And he said, why do you judge another man's servant? I'm not judging you. I'm telling you that's something that was against God's law. That's not something that the Jews did in the... Well, they did it in the Old Testament, but they were condemned for for the Christ Mass and the tree worship and all of this sun and tree worship. They were condemned and scattered, and that's the reason he called the Gentiles at Rome, Ephesus, Galatia, Philippi, Colossia. That's the reason he called them, because they were involved in Christmas and... Adrian Rogers, a lot of people have tried to use this chapter to justify Christmas. He's not talking about whether it's okay to do a pagan thing. He's talking about whether it's all right to practice a practice the dietary laws of the Jews from Leviticus 11. Nothing wrong with stop eating ham. Nothing wrong with that at all. So what are you saying? Don't live your life and say, well, I'm free to do what I want to do. Don't. I am very careful how that I act in public. I've told you this before. They've got magazine racks in all these grocery stores. There's a section of the racks that's got women that were practically naked on it. Sometimes I want to look at the National Geographic, but that's in a different section. I watch out standing in front of those books, or those magazine racks. I always, if I pull down a National Geographic, I open it up so people can see the cover of it so they won't think I'm looking at one of them girly magazines. I want people to know what I'm doing. Besides that, they know who I am. They see my T-shirts and they see me on TV. I don't want to do something that causes somebody to stumble, and that's what this old chapter is about. He tells you about stumbling later in this chapter. And then he says, Adrian Rogers wrote that very verse to me. He said, Who art thou that judges another man's servant? He's not talking about whether it's okay to get involved in sin or not. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him to stand. God is able to make weak Christians to stand in the truth. That's what he's talking about. Just because somebody's got conviction about what they eat. I've had people come to church here and say, I don't believe in eating meat, and I don't believe in this. As far as food is concerned, I believe in only eating healthy. I say, that's fine with me. One man esteemeth one day above another. This is also what Adrian Rogers used. I wrote him back a couple of times, and I just finally said, I'm not going to talk to this man. He is arrogant. He hated predestination. He's got a he's got a uh, message on the Internet that God predestined some men to heaven, some men to hell. Absolutely not. And he hates predestination. I don't see how men can go to heaven hating predestination. Hating the word of God. 
One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. He's not talking about whether you can do Christmas or not, or Easter or not, or paganism or not. He's talking about which day of the week you want to serve God. I don't care if Seventh-day people want to go to church on Saturday and claim to be serving God on Saturday. But I don't want them telling me I have to do that on Saturday. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. We got proof of that in Scripture, and that's why we meet on the first day. In Acts the 20th chapter, verse 7, on the first day of the week, Paul preached. In the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, let every man on the first day of the week gather together as God hath given given him or prospered him let him give his offerings on the first day of the week they met on the first day so it's talking about that but when the seventh day adventists say remember the sabbath day to keep it holy they're not keeping it holy they get in a car and drive down to some building you couldn't drive anywhere you couldn't ride a donkey anywhere everybody had to stay in their own home on the sabbath Everybody had to stay in his own place in the 16th chapter of Exodus. You couldn't move. You couldn't cook. You couldn't go down to a restaurant and let somebody cook for you. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. It's not talking about whether you can take part in paganism. A lot of people have used these verses to to legalize Christmas. You can't legalize Christ's mass. It's Catholicism. Paganism. And to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. So he's talking about that last verse. He that eateth, not of faith. He that whatsoever is not of faith, when you eat, he's not talking about necessarily just when you eat something, it's when you partake of anything. I don't want somebody seeing me walking into a theater and it's got an R-rated movie and a which you don't ever see G-rated movies anymore. They don't know if I'm going to the R-rated movie or the G-rated. They don't know. So I don't want to be walking in. So somebody can say, did you see the preacher down there? He went to that R-rated movie. You have to watch what you do. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all to the glory of God. And do it with your might. It has to be all done for the Lord. You have to watch out what you do. You'll offend people. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are not offended in me. Then he says, For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Now, there's another verse that people use along with this to justify doing Christmas. It's over in Colossians. I'll come right back to this. But when you go to Colossians, and they use this verse here, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they use... It's amazing how people know how to twist the Bible. In Colossians, the second chapter, they use these verses right here to justify doing the Christ Mass. And they'll quote these to you. Or they'll get the Bible out and read them to you. 
And they will say in verse 16, they don't even read the verses before, let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day. I'm sorry, Christmas, Christ Mass is not a holy day. It's a pagan day. Or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day. But they hadn't even read the verses before it. And they try to make this a Christmas. Don't let any man judge you in Christmas. No, this is talking about Jewish. It's talking about the same thing the 14th chapter of Romans is talking about. It's talking about Jewish culture and customs and idioms on their holy days and all their rituals. In the previous verse, up in verse 14, the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's two handwritings, one on tables of stone, one on fleshy tables of the heart. Now, which one of those you think God's talking about? He's talking about blotting out the rituals of the Old Testament, which was the rituals of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering that was coupled with the Day of Atonement. It's talking about all the rituals of those holy days of God. It's not talking about Christ's Mass. Good grief, can't you guys read? So he's talking about, go back to verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. The literal circumcision had been blotted out. And putting off the body of sins by the, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ circumcises our hearts. Buried with him in baptism. The water is done away with. The washing of water is done. Baptize means to cover with a stain or dye. It was infinitive originally, and infinitive is a noun. It's not a verb, but when the translators came to baptize, they didn't know what to do with it being a noun. It was an infinitive. That is a noun. And the infinitive is a noun, but it's verbal in character. It's a verbal noun. And Mr. Strong will tell you that in his encyclopedias, in the B volume, it tells you that in the first paragraph. Being a verbal noun, he says it means to stain with a dye. The literal water baptism was blotted out. That was a proselyte baptism. Anything that was a ritual was done away with. And every one of the holy days in the Old Testament had rituals with them. That was done. That's where I, that's that no man judge you in these holy days. You can't quote this and say this is talking about Christmas. Has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the same thing that Romans 14, when they came into the church eating herbs only or practicing the Levitical laws of the Old Testament, which is fine if that's what you want to do, but don't judge anybody because they won't do that, and you do. That's what the Bible says. It said, don't judge these people. Either way, don't the people who eat the herbs don't judge the people that don't eat the herbs and the people that are the people that eats meat. You people that eat meat, don't judge the people that eat the herbs. Don't judge the people. What are you saying? 
when you look at somebody and say, you're not very mature. Well, you're not as mature as you think when you talk to somebody like that. You can't tell people to grow up fast. It's like telling a five-year-old, why don't you grow up and get you a job and and get you an apartment, quit living in my house. I'm your father, and I'm tired of supporting you. Well, if you give that little five-year-old kid about 20 years, he'll do that. But he's got to grow up. These people have to grow up. Let's read the rest of that in Colossians. Blotting out that, and he says, buried with him in baptism. Circumcision and water washing was the process for a proselyte. That's what it would have been for the Colossians before Jesus died, before he was nailed to the cross, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, doing away with the contract. You take the contracting parties in public, the two witnesses, says everybody agreement will invalidate this. They'd say yes, and you drive a nail through it. That held up in their courts of law. And then he goes on to say, Let's read fourteen fifteen. Blotting out the handwriting of horses that was against us. The rituals were contrary to us. Took the rituals out of the way and nailed them to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in Levitical meats or in drink offerings. Our respect of holy days, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Ingathering, Gentile, Colossian church, don't let any man judge you and having to keep all these rituals of the Jews, which they were okay if that's what you want to do, but don't judge anybody about it. Or of a new moon, that is, that shows that's just Jewish because they had a sabbatical year. The new moon shows that it's Jewish. It's not talking about Christ's mass. They had a new moon every, for seven straight months, starting in Nisan. This was their Levitical, uh, excuse me, their ecclesiastical calendar. Nisan for seven straight months up to Tishri. They had a new moon festival, the first of every month, for seven straight months. So he's talking about Jewishness here. He's not talking about whether you can keep Christmas or not. I hope you people have used these verses to try to justify your keeping Christmas. That is not what it's about. He's telling the Gentiles, you don't have to keep, you are Jews of the heart. You don't have to keep all this stuff. And then he says, let no man judge you in meat or drink or of a holy day or of a new moon or any of the Sabbaths. And every one of these were Sabbaths. He's talking about Jewishness. New moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, the church, is of Christ. And that's the sacrifice. I'll go ahead and read verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward by claiming you have to keep all these rituals. You don't. In a voluntary humility, worshiping of angels, nobody's worshiping angels. This is talking about heavenly beings here. Angel is the word angelos. It means messenger. 
Now, all the preachers were called angels, but he's talking about heavenly beings here. Don't let any man fool you through a voluntary humility. Humility is not voluntary. Humility, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O, that is the word humble. Humble yourselves under the hand of God. The hand of God is evil man. David said, Deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword in thy hand. In Psalm 17. And tapanua is the word humble. It's imperative command. You can't willingly humble yourself. There's none that seeks after God. If he doesn't command you to humble, to humble under the hand of evil men, you won't do it. If you're ever humble, it's been God that's caused you to do it. That's it. And then he says, Let no man beguile your reward through a voluntary humility or worship of angels, intruding to those things which he has not seen, and he's vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now let's go back to Romans 14. Romans 14. He's talking about which day of the week you want to worship. That's all. We worship on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the day that everybody takes off in America. But if they switch the weekend to Tuesday, we're going to start worshiping on Tuesday. Okay? That's kind of what we're doing now. Working on worshiping on Wednesday and Saturday and doing these live streaming so we can make these DVDs to send to the TV stations around the country and so people can watch us all over the world. Then he said, then he, so he's talking about what you partake of. He's talking about our responsibility as believers, how we're supposed to live. And if we don't live right, he says something happens to the people around us. For none of us, verse 7, liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. When you're stubborn and you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, then you doubteth. You're passing the judgment on other people. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. You can't say, I'm keeping Christmas unto the Lord. Christmas is an ancient orgy called the Feast of Saturn. Jesus doesn't want his name on an ancient orgy. We die unto the Lord whether we live therefore or die. We are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and arose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? He's still talking about the same things he was talking about at the beginning of this chapter. Whatever you partake of should be in concern for those that are around you. You shouldn't be causing them to stumble. And he says that in the following verses. He goes on to say, Why dost thou judge thy brother and tell him he shouldn't be doing this or that? You need the live example in front of him. Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, 
As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. <laughs> that sounds like everybody's tongue in the world is going to confess, and that's not what it means. Every glossa, every foreign language, Because God is going to save people out of every nation, tongue, and tribe. He's going to save red, yellow, white, black, and brown men. That's all flesh or all men. So when every tongue confesses, it means there'll be people from every nation in the world confessing Christ. Confess homologeo. That doesn't mean every human being with a tongue in their head will confess because it doesn't mean that. If everybody confesses Christ, then everybody goes to heaven. Homo logos. It means to agree with. Well, everybody's not going to agree with God. He's got vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction, and they can't confess Christ. They don't know him, and they don't want to know him. Then he goes on to say, So then, every one of us shall give an account to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That's what we do when we condemn others, lift up ourselves above them because of what we're partaking of and say, I'm free, I can do what I want, and you need to follow me. You're not as mature as you think you are if you live like that and I can do what I want and live the way I want. Stumbling block, that's a, that's a word. We've got this, I've got all these words here. It has to do with stumbling. It's occasion to fall is the word scandalizo. S-K-A-N-S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-Z-O. Scandalizo comes the word scandalize. S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-Z-E. It doesn't mean what we say. It means to trip people up. Trip up. To trip up. That's what it's talking about. It has the idea of a... The word stumble... Is the word proscopto, P-R-O-S-P-R-O-S-K-O-P-T-O. Proscopto. Proscopto and scandalize and pogus all have basically the same meaning. A pogus is a little trap stick. It's a little sapling that they would bend over and they would put a little 
a little noose here that could catch the rabbit or catch the wild animal that they wanted for food and it might pop up and break his leg and it was a place of stumbling. And what you're doing is causing people to stumble because you say, well, I'm saved and I can do whatever I want to do. And you can't. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You have to live righteously in front of the world. Because what you do can cause men to stumble. And that word occasion to fall is the same word as offend or offended. It's It has the same idea that scandalon means an offense. In fact, verse 13, occasion to fall in his brother's way. How we live is everything. I used to not think that when I was young. I thought, well, I'm saved and I believe in predestination. I'm going to heaven so I can have a loose tongue, say things and look at things and I don't need to be looking at. It's hard to make yourself pull away from these things. And then he goes on to say, I've got all kinds of verses on this. Proscopto means to strike or surge against. It means to stub or trip up or dash and cause to stumble. A stumbling stone, every time you find it, a stumbling stone was a part of the roof of a house. Every time you find stumbling stone, sometimes it'll be translated into one of these words here. Proscopto, scandalizo, or pogus. They all have the idea of a stumbling, and it has the idea, a pogus has the idea of a noose to catch an animal in. The stumbling stone The Bible says that the Pharisees, there was a stone of stumbling out there. It's talking about Jesus. And he said he was the head of the corner. The head of the corner was the stumbling stone. You had a house being built. And the head of the corner, head of the corner would be where the ceiling meets the walls here and it had to go around this corner and it had a strange look to the to the that was called the cornerstone when we put a cornerstone in a building that's not a true cornerstone the cornerstone in America you build some bank or some big museum you put a cornerstone down here that's not the cornerstone The cornerstone is where the ceiling meets these two walls. And it has to be a strange-looking stone. And they would look around for it. And the Bible says they would stumble over it looking for it. And they couldn't find it. And it says the Pharisees could not recognize Christ the cornerstone or the stumbling stone. It was a stone of stumbling to them. It tripped them up. And we're not to have our lives to look as such to be a stone of stumbling. This is talking about how we 
are supposed to be living. We are predestined to conform to the likeness of Christ. And that means we have to give up certain things in our life that make us look wrong. When you're living in front of people, you've got to constantly be aware of people looking at you. And listening to your talk and the way you talk to people. I've been guilty of talking to people real hard in my past. I'm real plain now. I'm not mad at people when I correct them. I just believe that a lot of people that write to me are unbelievers. They just don't believe God. Now let's read the rest of this. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or occasion to fall in his brother's way. How you live will cause your brother to live or not live right. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But he's not talking about nothing is unclean in the world. It's talking about nothing clean is unclean. Nothing that God has accepted is unclean in itself. To him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat that you eat, don't eat it. He's not talking about food only. If somebody is grieved at your super car that you buy and you spend $75,000 on it, sell it and get a new Chevrolet, okay? If that grieves people, then don't drive it. Don't eat it. Don't wear it. How would I look up here if I've got a diamond ring on my pinky and it's five carats and I'm waving it, telling you, take your cross and die daily. And it's going to, and you're blinding you. I don't want no diamond rings and believe it or not, I used to when I was in the music world. I used to have one that had a bunch of diamonds in it. If you'll give me a diamond ring, I'll sell it and put it in our building fund, Okay. I wouldn't wear a diamond ring if somebody gave it to me. Not going to do that. You have to... And look at verse 15. If thy brother be be grieved with thy meat, it's talking about anything you're partaking of. How walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with what you're eating. You're going to cause him to stumble or... You're going to cause him not to want to do what he's doing for the Lord. For whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. How can that happen? That's if you, you're a good man and you got, you're godly and you start partaking of things you're not supposed to and you cause men to stumble, then you're doing wrong. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not what you're partaking of. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. God's kingdom is... Where's the kingdom of God? Luke the 17th chapter says the kingdom of God. There in verses 20 and 21 
They said, are you going to restore the kingdom, Jesus? Talking about, are you going to bring Israel back and get out from under the rule of Rome? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. And he says right here, the kingdom of God was a term for Israel. Right here he says, the kingdom of God is not what you eat and drink. Therefore, it don't matter what you give up for other people's sake. But righteousness, this is what the kingdom of God is. D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. It means equitable. It has to have an equality to it. It has to have an equal to it. It means to be equal, balanced. It has to be balanced. And then he says, it's peace. Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, means to bring everything together into one. Don't split the, the church by living the way you're not supposed to be living. Jim Brown and everybody else. And joy, Kara. But we're not to rejoice, Kara, with iniquity. Anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A. With people who live unlawfully comes from the nomos and the alpha primitive. It means no law. People are not living according to the law of God. That's not the kingdom of God. And the Holy Ghost, which is the same thing as the Holy Spirit. Haggai's Numa, which is the truth. That's the kingdom of God. That's the spiritual Jew. How much time to have, Mike? Twelve. Huh? Twelve. 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 I thought I'd get through this and get on to something else. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace in the church and things wherewith one may edify another or build up. Orkodomeo is the word edify. It means to build up. O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. And the Bible says love or agape, walking in the commandments of God, edifies, builds up the house of God. Oikos is house, dome is the word roof. What builds up the house of God is walking in God's commandments. And these are some of God's commandments here. Don't walk offending people. I am aware of everything I do. I used to not be in my 40s, even in my early 50s. I constantly am aware of what I'm doing and what I'm saying and how I'm talking everywhere I go and what I look like. I know some of you can't get there overnight because in my early 80s, I didn't get here overnight either. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things whereof we may edify or build up the house of God and we are God's house. For meat, destroy not the work of God. Just so you can eat certain things or partake of certain things, or partake of a car, or partake of a movie, or partake of a bowling alley where they drink, or partake of a a smoky bar. Well, they got good food in there. Watch what you look like. I've said before, if somebody sits down with me at a restaurant... 
even if they order a, a glass of wine, I'll say you'll have to move over to that other table because I will move. If somebody comes in here and says, I saw the preacher sitting there drinking with somebody, that's what they'll accuse me of. If you're sitting here with a glass of wine or a can of beer, they're going to accuse me of that. And I can't look like that. You say, Jim, are you being self-righteous? No, I'm trying to be righteous. I believe in this. I have done wrong in the my past. Have you done wrong? Have you ever lived the way you shouldn't live? Have you ever talked the way you shouldn't talk? I've had people come in here and use a cuss word when they got out on the parking lot. I'd say, what are you doing? Didn't you hear what I was just preaching there about godly, holy living? Why are you doing this? And they would say, well, I'm sorry. I said, don't tell me you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry. Use a cuss word out on the parking lot. For me, destroy not the work of God just because you want to partake of something. That's what that means. All things indeed are pure. All things that are pure are pure. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Proscoma. To trip somebody up. Boy, this whole chapter is about watch out what you do in front of the world. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth proscopto. You're causing him to fall like like stumbling over that stumbling stone. Or is offended scandalizo. You're scandalizing him. Or he's made weak. We're talking about how strong people in the faith are supposed to live among weak people in the faith. Hast thou faith? Have it, have it, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself. That word katakrino is condemneth. In the thing which he allows in his own life. And then he says those words. He that doubteth is damned. The man that diacrino becomes the method of judging is damned if he eat whatever he wants to eat without thinking about who's around him. And that includes cars or things or stuff or rings or methods or way of talk. If all you want to do is talk about entertainment when you get around me, I'm going to stop you by talking about the Bible. Some people say, you talk about the Bible too much. That's right. I don't talk about it too much. I talk about it all the time. Because he eateth not of faith. See, now you understand that, don't you? If you eat of faith, it means whatever you're partaking of is death to self. Because faith is death to self. And whatsoever is not of faith and everything that you partake of is sin. Well, that's hard, isn't it? We're talking about the responsibility of people. Look over here in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, if i got time. 1 Corinthians. Look over here in verse chapter 8. He says he's talking about the same thing. In verse 7, Howbeit there is 
Not in every man that knowledge. He's talking about knowing right from wrong. For some with conscience of idol, unto this day eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a proscoma, a stumbling block, to them that are weak. And if any man see thee, which hath knowledge what's right and wrong, sit at meat in an idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? What he's talking about, he says... When you're at Corinth, they would offer their sacrifices to idols. And when they offered them to idols, he said, they're not gods, and all they're doing is cooking the meat. And they had a place out in the in the public that was called the Shambles. And that's where they would sell the meat that was offered to idols. But that's what Paul is saying. They were simply cooking the meat in an idol's temple. And it's okay to sit down and eat that meat unless somebody knew it was offered to idols. He said, there's nothing wrong with that meat. Those are not gods. All they took it over there and they performed some kind of ceremony and said, we're offering this up to these demons. Demon was the demonion. And that's what they called their idols. And they said... We're just offering this to idols. Well, what they were doing was cooking the meat, and they took it out into these little booths out in the streets of Corinth, and they sold it to the people. Well, through this whole section here, he says, if they knew, if anybody knows this was offered to idols, don't eat it, even though there's nothing wrong with eating it. Because they just cooked it. It's all they did. That's what Paul says in this 8th, ninth, and 10th chapter. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say, If any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in an idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? If they see you eating it, and you can... Paul says you can eat it because those are not gods. They just cooked it in the name of a god. But if somebody knew it was offered to idols, you're not supposed to eat it in front of them. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren by partaking of something, he's not just talking about meat, he's talking about anything in your life that you shouldn't be doing in front of people. I hope that will convict your heart. And wound their their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat maketh my brother to offend, scandalon, if it trips him up, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That's what the 14th chapter of Romans is all about. It's talking about the polarized situation, people coming in and trying to eat like the Jews of the Old Testament.
and participate in the holy days of the Jews of the Old Testament. It's He says this again in other chapters here. I don't have time to go through them. But he's talking about what you partake of. If you make people to stumble, you sh- you know what Christians need to do? Check out everything they do and say. You say, gosh, that's awful strict, Jim. I know that. You think God is strict? You think you'll stand at the judgment and say, well, God only played it life along the way. He says, that's all. You believed in me, didn't you? If you believe in Christ, you believe the things that he said do. And you watch yourself. You watch how you talk. You watch how you walk. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. He says that over there in verse chapter 10, verse Verse 23, all things are lawful for me that are lawful, but all things are not expedient. That means profitable. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and you be deposed to go whatsoever set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if a man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat not for his sake. Don't partake in anything where you cause people to offend and stumble. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand that we have to, we must partake in a godly fashion in the world and restrain ourselves from anything that would hurt and cause our brother to be offended. We're not talking about sin, Lord. We're talking about where people are weak in the faith. Let us live correctly and right and righteously in front of them. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I hadn't taught on this in a long time. I didn't finish the thought in that last thing, but I didn't have time. I ran out. So whatsoever is not of faith is sin when it comes to what you partake of. If you're not partaking of it in death to self, because faith is death to self.